Before we get into this week's show on Freeze London, I want to take a second to remind you about our 50th podcast, which we released just last week. We took a deep dive into Rembrandt's The Night Watch and tried to answer the question, why is this painting so famous? If you haven't listened already, highly recommend you check it out. Now, onto this week's show. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week all the way from London by executive editor Alex Forbes. Hey, Isaac. And features producer Molly Gottschalk. Hey, Isaac. Thanks to both of you for joining us. This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Freeze London and Freeze Masters. So, Alex and Molly, you're both in London. Alex, maybe you could start by telling me a little bit about what Freeze Week actually is, for those who don't know. Sure. Um, So Freeze Week is one of the biggest weeks for the art market in the fall. Um, It takes place in London, usually the the first or second week of October, and comprises uh, the two Freeze Fairs, so Freeze London, which is this year in its 15th edition, and Freeze Masters, uh, which this year is its its sixth edition. Also, the major London fall auctions, which our colleague uh, Anna Sussman is off to cover right now as as we're recording. Uh, So she has probably a long night ahead of her. Um, And those those happen tonight, uh, Thursday and uh, tomorrow night. And then a host of major museum and gallery openings. Those got started even already last week, uh, where you had um, galleries like Spruth Maggers uh, reopening their London space, much of expanded space from what they had in the past. Um, you had uh, you have somebody like Johann Koenig, a, a gallerist from Berlin, um, opening up a London space for the first time, um, among other other kind of highlights from the week. So it's a, it's a busy week here in London. The whole art world kind of descends on the city for you know anywhere from two to six days and uh and there's lots to see there's also really excellent satellite fairs there's 154 contemporary african art fair as well as um, sunday art fair so what's the primary difference between freeze masters and freeze london So Freeze London is the contemporary fair. Um, It was founded in 2003, and Freeze Masters is the complement to the fair. It launched in 2012, and it's focused on work made before the year 2000. Is there anything different about this year's editions uh, that make them stand out from from prior, prior years? What I noticed right away yesterday was that Freeze Masters this year feels significantly stronger. Um, I was working on a piece on the best booths, and normally I would spend most of my time in Freeze London. Um, Definitely include a few in Freeze Masters, but I feel like there's always been more attention on the main fair, Freeze London. Um, This year, the presentations were incredibly strong. I really uh, spent a long time uh, immersed in the booths and ended up actually having a 50-50 split in my piece, which um, came very naturally. Yeah, I mean, what was interesting to me yesterday is that you had a lot of mixing between what those uh, kind of what ostensibly, as Molly said before, are supposed to be the two fairs domains. So, you know, you had a significant amount of work in Freeze London that was certainly made before 2000 and, um, you know, also made by more historical artists, whereas at Freeze Masters as well, you had works that really were a bit more um, kind of what had previously been the domain of of Freeze London. So I think, you know, that mixing feels natural right now where, you know, in the past, I guess, especially when, you know, Freeze started and 
especially when they launched Freeze Masters, there was this really strong split between dealers that were showing really contemporary works. And if anything, the the older dealers uh, wanted to get in on that action and were trying to bring on younger artists uh, and emerging artists, where now everybody is kind of looking for uh, rediscoveries or you know overlooked artists digging back further into art history, as we've talked about on the podcast a number of times before. And so you have a little bit more intermingling of the two fairs domain and you know where it ends up kind of is that if anything the biggest differentiating factor aside from sections like focus which focuses on um, younger galleries galleries under 12 years old and aside from some of the really old masters dealers or antiquities dealers at at freeze masters the biggest differentiator to me feels like that there's there's smaller works by more artists in the booth at Freeze London and that the Freeze Masters presentations um, tend to be more towards a, a focused solo booth or kind of really curated presentation. Are there other factors that are kind of contributing to the shifting makeup of Freeze and Freeze Masters? Well, I think it's something that you know, Freeze has put some effort into over the years and that um, collectors have responded to because of those efforts and, and have a wider shift in the market where, you know, if you look at Freeze Masters, I, had a, I was talking to a dealer last night who was saying, um, you know, that he found this really interesting antiquity over at Masters for something like $28,000. And uh, he was kind of joking that, you know, it's, it's somewhat ridiculous the number of artworks uh, that he has available for $28,000 that are fresh from the studio from very young artists uh, who are under 30. And so I think a lot of collectors have kind of come about to that same realization that there is a lot of amazing material out there um, that is more historical. There are num- you know, so many artists that have really interesting provenance, um, have had you know, museum exhibitions 30, 40 years ago, um, but have kind of fallen off the map. And that now cost about the same as a very young artist straight out of their MFA. And kind of in a market where people are looking for a little bit more stable indications of value, people are a little bit less speculative, I guess, than than they were a few years ago um, and are looking for that kind of historical weight to why an artist might cost what they cost. That diversity of collecting has really blossomed. The Hauser and Worth presentation at Freeze London actually really played with this trend. Um, it was an all bronze uh, presentation. It was meant to be objects that were pulled from this imaginary bronze museum. So you had ancient historic artifacts displayed as if in a museum, but next to objects that had been bought on eBay. It was curated by a classics professor from University of Cambridge, Mary Beard. Um, it's really thoughtfully put together, but Again, you have, um, you know, Roman coins and a mortal and pestle that are of unknown origin. Then next to works by Louise Bourgeois, Henry Moore, Marcel Duchamp, um, works dating back to 3200 BC. Um, and then, you know, there's the museum gift shop where you can buy a pencil for one pound. Uh, this is part of a trend that we're seeing across fairs um, where galleries are being much more thematic with their presentations. I think it really started in um, 2014 at Freeze Masters, when Helena Maud created this um, flat of a fictional Parisian collector in 1968. So the booth was um, created to look as if it were his home filled with art. 
in, in the years that followed, we've seen a lot of presentations that have recreated artist studios or collector homes. Some of them have been awesome. Um, some of them have felt a little bit forced, but, um, you know, Hauser and Worth always does a really good job. Last year, they had an artist atelier. Um, this year, the museum, um, Waddington Cousteau at Freeze Masters recreated the studio of um, the artist Peter Blake, bringing everything from his home, including his potted plants and his works in progress paintings to the fair, which was really awesome to sort of see into the life and mind of the artist. That, that does sound great. I mean, what other highlights have there been this year at the fair? What, what, what other booths have really stood out to you guys? My favorite booth was by the artist Than Hussein Clark with um, Oslo Gallery Sixes and Sevens in the Focus section at Freeze London. He created a 1920s style Parisian um, bespoke fitting room. So uh, the entire booth was taken over with um, you know, built around the perimeter, this facade of of this bespoke salon where you can go in and be fitted for couture gowns that will be handmade in Rome after the fair. So Than was actually in the booth um, fitting collectors who'd made appointments for these dresses. Um, and throughout the room, the booth was filled with sculptures that he'd made, um, a, a tailor's mirror, um, lookbooks, things that sort of reflect that environment. But his work is so interesting and um, constantly evolving. And it was really exciting to see um, to see this piece. So is the art the actual dresses or the whole thing? It's really the whole thing. So um, Than works across um, different media. So he creates sculptures, he worked in performance, he puts on plays. And so this this fitting room was an entire experience that he created where, you know, being in the room itself, you're surrounded by his work, but then you're also, you can potentially be fitted for a gown that you'll buy. And so the artwork is, is also the dresses. And Alex, I know you have lots of highlights. What stood out to you? One of the the booths that impressed me in particular um, was a joint booth by Chimon Reed and Thomas Dane Gallery, uh, which was almost a you know, miniature retrospective of Linda Banglis, a, a work from almost every one of her kind of major types of media. Um, so you have a great uh, polyurethane foam uh, floor piece, um, like those of you who saw her new museum retrospective, uh, there were many of those in there. These glitter works, some prints, including the famous art format that she purchased in the 70s. Um, just really, really impressive. And I think that's one of the things that Freeze Masters does particularly well and that you don't tend to see at other fairs. Um, you know, half of the work was on loan from collectors and wasn't for sale. Um, so it's just very, very ambitious presentation in a different way than some of the thematic booths that, um, that Molly was mentioning where, you know, it, actually a hundred out of the 180 or so objects in the Hausenworth booth weren't for sale at all. And many of those have been purchased off eBay um, or went on loan for museums. That was more about a kind of curatorial effort. And this was um, really just showing a wide range of, of her work. There's also this really interesting section called Sex Work at uh, Freeze London that was curated by Alison Gingeris, um, spotlighted radical feminist artists from the 60s and 70s. You know, many of whom were were censored during their day. There was a great solo booth at Air de Paris of Dorothy Iannone, who's you know was married to Martin Roth at one point, and but really didn't receive much reception well until she was well into her eighties. Um, in part due to the sexually explicit nature of her 
work. There's also a really interesting connection among a number of booths across the fairs um, to the Tate's current show, Soul of a Nation, which features African-American artists who shaped the contemporary art conversation um, in the United States. Uh, and it really isn't a dialogue that's been had over here yet. I was talking to Jack Shaneman and Michael Rosenfeld, two gallerists who have really been important in, in generating that discussion back in New York. And Jack was, it was the first time he's at Freeze and Michael Rosenfeld had moved up from a, a small booth to a, a full booth at Freeze Masters with a full 11 artists that were in the show. So very exciting to kind of see that that conversation moving over as well. So Freeze opened actually the same day Theresa May, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, gave her party conference speech. Brexit, obviously a big, big focus, big topic. I was wondering, Alex, ha- has there been any repercussions at Freeze? How does the art market feel generally? Yeah, I think everybody here, if you ask about Brexit, will basically say that it's too early to tell still. There's no real clear indication what, if anything, it'll mean for the art market. You know, on the other hand, I think in announcing his gallery, Johan Koenig was saying that uh, it, he saw it as an opportunity to move here and kind of uh, stretch out into this new area. Uh, but generally, I think the feeling is is that Brexit isn't the, the biggest issue on people's minds. Um, that said, I, the sales were, were fine yesterday. I don't think it was, um, certainly didn't have the energy of um, the Basel, our Basel and Basel this summer, but that's also not out of the ordinary. These two uh, fair franchises, the our Basel fairs and the freeze fairs, uh, both stand at a, at a certain kind of pinnacle of art world relevance, but uh, for for very different reasons. You know, Art Basel is the art market in certain to a certain extent, and Freeze prides itself more for its curatorial content and for the sales and conversations that can happen afterwards. So, what else is happening in uh, London this week? Where are you guys going to be drinking white wine in in the city's art world tonight? I'll be going to Zabudovich collection tonight, which every freeze week, um, they've hosted one of my favorite shows last year. It was Donna Juanca the year before it was John Raffman. Um, and right now they have a Harun Mirza show up that I've heard is fantastic. And there's a performance tonight, dancers from studio Wayne McGregor, which I'm not entirely sure what it's going to be, but I understand that they'll be performing among the work, um, which sounds awesome. So I can't wait to check that out. And Alex? So I'm going to cheat and actually say somewhere that I went last night, but it's really worth going for anybody who's in town or, or trying to see these works. Um, Listen Gallery, which is one of the, the biggest, most important galleries in London, is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. And instead of doing a kind of retrospective show of the history of the gallery, um, Alex Logsdale and, and his, his father, Nicholas, who started the gallery, um, decided to put on a show at... Uh, the Vinyl Factory, which is just this massive, massive building, um, and show works that in many cases had been too big or otherwise um, not able to be shown in the gallery from from some of their artists. So um, you have this incredible, large Anish Kapoor, um, I, I think, you know, probably about as large of one I've ever seen, um, that you, you can kind of stand over and get lost in this void. And uh, the the real treat, though, is if you make it all the way through 
um, I think it's three or four floors of, of this vast space, then you have to find a doorway and go up to the roof uh, where they've installed this black tent. Um, it's called the Rooftop Studio, uh, in which Arthur Jaffa's video um, from last year, Love is the Message, the Message is Death, is installed. And um, he'd had a really impressive video in um, Art Basel Unlimited this past summer. Um, but this this piece was just really blew me away. It was, I think it's one of the most effective, if not the most effective, uh, works I've seen that kind of cuts the core of race relations in America right now. Well, I'm still in New York, so I'm just going to be going to the Met to check out their Rodin exhibition. All right. Thanks so much to Alex and Molly for taking the time to join us here today. I know how busy things are in London. We'll let you guys get back to the fair. See ya, Isaac. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, associate editor Abigail Kane. The theme music is by Broke for free. Free.